Hebrews 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should go, excuse me, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, Today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let's pray. Father, as we come before your word, I pray that you give us a heart of faith to see your goodness and your kindness towards us, and that, Lord, you offer us eternal Sabbath rest. And so, Father, I pray that in this rest we would fix our eyes on Jesus the chief pioneer and author of our faith. And so, Lord, I ask that by your spirit, through your word, you grow our love for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So in this passage, we come across some really interesting ideas. And really what I want to kind of make you aware of is the very first verse. Look down with me at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us, what? What does it say? Huh? Fear. Let us fear. Now, for those of us who um, want to pay close attention to Scripture, that should come to us as maybe an odd command. Let us fear. Does God want me to be someone who lives in fear that maybe I won't make it, or maybe I will. And so I just wanted to spend a minute talking about fear. Fear is, at times, always talked in a negative way, and because a lot of times it is a negative thing. But at some times, can I be honest, fear is a good, God-given thing that He has given us. If we walked out of the student center, out to the parking lot, and we saw a black bear, right in the parking lot. I hope there would be something natural in your chemistry to make you say in your brain, ha, ah, warning, danger, don't go try to feed the bear fruit snacks. <laughs> that would be a bad idea. I hope your brain would kind of say, whew, and you'd run back inside, right? And you'd make Blake go out there and talk to the bear or something. <laughs> right? When I was, uh, I think... 14 or 15, I took a trip with my youth group. We went to San Diego, and we're riding the waves, and uh, the waves started getting really big, and then this huge wave came over me, and my heart started beating, 
and I did everything I could to try to get back to shore. The wave was too big, and I, and, but and I, I was fearful, and that's a good thing, right? God has made it so that adrenaline starts pumping through your body, and you can, you know, maybe run faster, think quicker, so that you can survive. We have healthy fear of things, and that is a good thing to have. But we also know the unhealthy fears that we have. The fear is that no one will like me. The fear is that I'm going to fail. The fear that we just have this thought in the back of our head that if people really found out who I was, they wouldn't like me. And so there is healthy fear, and there's then unhealthy fear. And so this passage we just read, and, and matter of fact, we, we stopped one verse before maybe one of the most important verses in the book of Hebrews, all talking about the Word of God. It comes in the context, I'm sorry I wasn't here last week, I was sick, I hope you pray for me, and said, oh, poor Aaron, right? I didn't feel good. But two weeks ago, we talked about perseverance in the Christian faith, and this is all of what he's talking about in chapters 3 and 4. His audience, the author of Hebrews, is tempted to taste the heavenly goodness of God, to hear the good news of the gospel, to experience all of the warm, fuzzy feelings we get, yet still slowly drift away and turn their back on Christ. And something we said two weeks ago that I think we we must keep in the center of our minds is that those who belong to Christ will never depart from Christ. Now, when you are born again and you have a conversion where you turn away from your sin, you turn towards God in faith, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. I firmly believe that if you could lose your salvation, you absolutely would. But yet there's also a real issue here. Because I'm sure all of us have already experienced this, that it seems that there is times in life where people seem to hear the good news, they respond to the good news, yet however many months or years later, it seems that they've completely turned their back on God. And so if you look down with me in chapter 3, verse 12, just to reiterate this point we made two weeks ago, it says this in 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. And so in essence, he says, the reason why we care about community, the reason why we do small groups, the reason why we push you not just towards friendships in the youth group, but good Christian friendships, is because perseverance is always a community job. That an isolated Christian is always in danger of someone who is going to succumb to their evil, unbelieving heart. And since there is a constant pressure to unbelieve, towards unbelief, the author of Hebrews jumps into verse 1 of chapter 4, and it says this, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach this rest. And so here's my first point. The Christian who perseveres is always someone who fears unbelief. Who fears 
having an unbelieving heart. So, something that I just want to kind of um, say and then kind of bring our, maybe, our immediate fears to relief is although this passage has such rich theology, I just want to make a few points clear here. The point is this. Does God really want us to go around thinking that every time I sin, that every time I don't feel like worshiping God, that those days where Sunday night comes and I just have no desire to ever be a part of a youth group, should I always be fearful that I don't have faith? Should I be fearful that I'm going to lose my salvation? Right? Can you imagine the person who is basing their relationship with God based on their own feelings and their own works and how constant that pressure and that pit in your stomach may be of, am I really saved? Am I just deceiving myself? And so I just want to tell you really quick that I do not think this passage is calling us to always have this present fear over us that, oh man, I don't know, maybe I believe in God now, but who knows what I'll be like in a year. We are not to live in a type of fear that always makes us wonder, but rather what we are to fear is an unbelieving heart. And so let me try to explain it this way. The times in your life when you are tempted to think that God is not a good heavenly father caring for your well-being, when you are tempted to forget how good the gospel is that your sins are forgiven, when you are someone who hears the message but yet still thinks that God is someone who is not actively loving us, that is when we ought to fear the unbelief in our hearts. You see, in in the middle of this passage, it's interesting, he he mentions this idea of rest again and again and again. And matter of fact, I don't have time to go everything, but here's what he does. He gives us five different stories about this Sabbath rest of God. He begins with creation, right? Where God rested on the seventh day. And then also we, we hear this story about when the Israelites were in the wilderness and they're walking around for 40 years and they continue to murmur in their hearts against God. And what's interesting is this, that all of these stories had the good news preached to them. Now, they didn't have the full story. They didn't have the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But what did they have? They had the good news about a God who was slow to anger, who was abounding in steadfast love, who was willing to look over the sins of people. And yet we see also in Joshua Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So even when the people make the land, there's still an invitation to come and enter into the rest of God. So even when they make it to the promised land, there's still something better for God's people. And then lastly, we see the story about David. Verse 7, again, he appoints a certain day today saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so in essence, that's the whole summary of the Old Testament. That the whole story of the Old Testament is calling us to enter in to the true rest and salvation of God. But here's the thing. 
many of the Israelites did not enter that rest because they had unbelieving hearts. Just a few points of application. Every single time you sin and think of something that does not honor God, it is because you are in that moment not believing the good news of God's love for you. Every sin that we commit or that we think or that we do is ultimately an act of unbelief. And this is why the author of Hebrews, in no uncertain terms, says this. Let us fear. When we see unbelief in my heart, when I indulge into my sexual sin, let us be fearful that I am not just an unbelieving person who tastes the good news, but who ultimately is suspicious of God's final rest. When I am deep in despair and insecurity and into myself, let us consider these words. That it is not good enough to say that I believe in God's goodness, but I must believe it and I must strive to enter. And so in essence, the author of Hebrews says, we, should, we ought to fear to make sure that we're actually entering into this rest. And so on the flip side of that, look what he says. The second point is this in verse 11. Let us, the point here is this, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So if, we, if, if, if the first challenge is that we should fear unbelief, the solution to that is strive to enter the rest. It's to work hard. You know, it's someone who recently said, it's like the grace of God is like the rain that it falls free from heaven but we must go outside to experience the rain. You know, and there's a, the real temptation here to kind of look at this striving and fearfulness, and I have to make sure that I'm a Christian. But I don't think that's necessarily what the author of Hebrews is calling us to. He's calling us in faith to be people who are constantly striving to be people who don't just talk big about a God who loves them, but who know it for themselves. You see, something that I have learned in the Christian life is this. That being someone who follows Jesus is not just a one-time thing. Having a believing heart in the goodness of God literally is a moment-by-moment operation. I cannot begin to tell you guys. I can go to bed on a Monday night, my heart full with the love of God, excited about grace, to wake up Tuesday morning to find my heart quickly reacting in just mean ways of me being insecure, me being doubtful of people, me being suspicious, completely forgetful of God's love and grace in my life. It's just so interesting. Do, do you see this, this idea of strive to enter rest? We talked about this a little bit last December in our Union with Christ series. That in essence, the rest of God means, if, if you're resting, that means, guess what? You're not doing any work. 
You don't have to work at it. God says, come in. I, I, I have done all the work for you. I have given you perfect righteousness. I will give you an identity that you really want and need. All of my blessings and security and happiness are for yours. But guess what? We have to strive to get there. And so to use, to use an illustration I've used before, a few months ago, um, one of my children were helping put the chairs away at church. And I was up on stage talking to someone, I think I was talking to Pastor Carl, and I just hear, maybe like 15, 20 people left in the room, this blood-curdling scream. Now as a parent, you get used to hearing the, the cries of your kids, and you just know. Right? And you know between like, uh, I'm crying because I'm unhappy, I'm crying because I'm cranky, you know if it's like I'm crying because I kind of got hurt and I'm making a bigger deal out of this than I should, and you know when they're crying because they're really hurt, right? And I just hear this scream, right? And I just like, the parent in me was just like, you know. And she was pretty far away from me. And my wife happened to be really close. My little daughter, Abigail, she got her finger pinched in the nail and it kind of bruised and just hurt really bad as she screamed. And I remember watching this. The first thing she did was she turned around and she ran straight into mom's arms. You see, in the arms of her mother, there is care, comfort, security, nourishment. But she still had to walk over to mom. She still had to stand up and strive to enter into that healing Consider for a second all the things that the author of Hebrews has told us up until this point. That when we're going down the path of unbelief, here's what he's told us so far. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, we must pay much closer attention. In verse, chapter 2, verse 3, he says this, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Don't neglect such a great salvation. Pay careful attention. Chapter 3, verse 1, he says this. Therefore, holy brothers, you share in a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus. In chapter 3, verse 8, he says this. Do not harden your hearts. Chapter 3, verse 12, he says this. Take great care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. In 3.14, he says this, we must hold fast to our original confession, our confidence. And yet in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. In order to be diligent in the Christian life, guys, listen, we must pay must more careful attention. We must... Consider Jesus. We must strive to enter the rest. We must be people who are fearing unbelief. We must be people who are exhorting each other that we may not have evil, unbelieving hearts. And so, let me just kind of close my last point here. The author of Hebrews is, I mean, imagine this, this a pastor 
warning his people, wooing his people back into seeing that Jesus is better. And here is the good news. You guys ready for it? Because the fifth story in this little passage is the story of today. It is the story that you right now can still enter the rest of God. He is calling you to say, come, do not avoid the warnings. All of the people in the Old Testament, so many people now, they taste of this goodness. They hear the gospel, yet they do not know it. They refuse to enter in because of their unbelieving hearts. And so therefore, the warning is this. The invitation is this. Come now and enter the rest. Do you hear the words that Jesus offers? Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If I can just add one last thing. Some of us here, I think, uh, I've been using an illustration a lot, but I think it's relevant. Some of us here know the rest of God like I know the Niagara Falls. I know that the Niagara Falls is pretty. I could probably read a few facts and tell you how much water is coming over the waterfall per second. I could tell you things about, you know, how it's one side Canada, one side New York. But I've never been there for myself. I've never experienced it. And so it is with the rest of God. Now, many people know that in God, yeah, there's salvation, there's great security, there's great comfort. But let me just tell you a quick testimony of my own life. I grew up in church, I went to Sunday school. I did all of the Bible things. I was Moses in the play. My entire life, I heard adults tell me, God is so good. Praise God. He's so worthy of it. My entire life, I sang songs about the worthiness of God. And then one day, I actually experienced it. I was sitting in traffic, my way home from seminary, and I put on a sermon because at that point I had like listened to all my music so many times that I always sat in traffic. And I was like, you know what, maybe I should just spend the time a little better. And I put on a sermon. Don't know what it was. Don't even know what it's about. But in that car, my little 1997 Honda Civic, I knew the depth of my sin. I knew the greatness of Christ and his grace for me. And in that moment, I finally, finally understood. And I got home to my wife. I looked at her. I said, I think I finally understand what everyone said growing up about why God was so great. I feel like I finally tasted that for a second. Because here is the rest of God, that although we are sinners, God still offers us this invitation. That even though I was a Christian and I continue to live in sin and I continue to go back to the things I know I should have gone back to, yet his grace was sufficient. I finally understood 
And I think I realized something. I was like, I think all those people who've told me their entire life that God is so good and God is so sweet, I don't think they know what they're talking about. I think a lot of people just say that. But I think very few understand it for themselves. So we should not be people who are constantly fearful. But we should be people who fear unbelief. Who gauge it with our lives. And we understand that every time I sin, I'm entering into unbelief. And on the flip side of that, we should be people who are diligently striving to enter the rest and realizing that today God offers his rest of salvation to me. He offers his rest of grace. He's teaching us a new way to live. And so by paying more careful attention, by considering Jesus, by exhorting each other, by fearing unbelief, May we be people who actually come and enter this beautiful rest that God has for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this promised rest. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to be like the people in the book of Hebrews. That they were united and entered into this rest because they believed. And so, Father, I pray it would be true for us that those who believe would enter this rest, that it is available to all of those who are willing and able to confess that Jesus is Lord. So, Father, I ask that you would help these students grow in their faith. God, help them to see that true rest does not lie in themselves, that true rest does not lie in better accomplishments or circumstances, but true rest, God, is only what you can offer. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people who pay careful attention, who consider Jesus, who hold fast the confession of our faith. God, that we would expose the evil and unbelief in our hearts. God, we pray these things for your glory. I'm just going to ask you guys to take a moment um, just to pray. So you just close your eyes, keep your heads bowed, and just maybe take the time to ask the Lord to reveal any sin or hard-heartedness in your own lives. Pray that you just take the time to reflect on this passage of Scripture. And in a few minutes, Blake will lead us in a song.